Hey everyone, I'm Brene Brown and this is Unlocking Us. We're here with part two of my conversation with Bono. I won't even keep you waiting. It's just that good. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. All right, before we get started, let me just say that this was a live event in front of 1,200 of our closest friends at the Paramount Theater, the historic, beautiful, amazing Paramount Theater in downtown Austin. The event was presented by Austin City Limits Festival's Bonus Tracks, ACL Fest Bonus Tracks for short. And we talked about Bono's new memoir, Surrender, 40 Songs, One Story. His new book, I just have to say, the memoir, Surrender, it's a love story. It's a love story to Ali, his wife, to his family, to all of us who found all kinds of peace and challenges in the music and the lyrics. Let's jump into the conversation. Okay, I got to do this. This phrase, holy shit. Paradox again, but okay. How casually our destiny arrives. You're attending Mount Temple Comprehensive School. Mm-hmm. The story I make up about this school is it is a place that absolutely engages the middle of the paradox. Like, right. this is not a place where you have to have a lot of certainty. In 1976, you meet Larry Adam, The Edge, and the love of your life, Ali Stewart, mm-hmm. in the same week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great week. Great, great, great week. Okay, hold on. Let me find this passage. You really have read the book. Well, it's a lot of book. So you're at Larry's house, and the sign up at school says, Drummer Seeks Musicians to Form Band. That's it. Is that how it works? That's how it worked. Um, (laughs) And I'm very grateful um, to, I think, the 14-year-old Larry Mullen for posting that. And... Yeah, the school, Mount Temple Comprehensive was very hard to explain. It's because you have to try and imagine this is, you know, the 70s in Ireland. We really are something on the brink of civil war. And here's this school where people are allowed to be themselves. I mean, you might say that the sort of non-denominational aspect is unique, but even, you know, just boys and girls, that was also quite unique and much more interesting. so um, I read. Yes. <laughs> um, you know, schools are really important. Teachers, the role that teachers play. Ali and I went back to um, Manitoba Comprehensive recently. It was Saturday. We were coming in from the airport. It was a sunny day, and we just went, the two of us. We hadn't been there in over 20 years. And the current headmaster spotted us and said, do you want to come in and look? around. So he said, I'll just get the keys in the headmaster's office. And I went into the headmaster's office and he said, you were probably in here a bit, were you? And I said, yep. 
And I told him about a particular headmaster that I had been called up in front of and I had lost the run of myself as a young man and had been involved in some aggression with a teacher who was a bully. And anyway, the aggression could never be... I can't... I'm ashamed of it. But I went at this fucker anyway. And... Uh, I'm, gather, I'm gathering and, that. Um, yeah. And I was sent to the headmaster and I said, said his name and I said, and he's doing this every day to people. It's not me. I said, if we, I'm not, it's just, he's really humiliating people and humiliating girls. Yeah. And, humiliating. and the headmaster said to me, he said, we know this. Okay. He's a bad egg. He said, but this is not how you resolve this. Do you understand that? And he said, you let me do my job and you can stay in the school. I said, but when you leave here, you promise me that you will not approach solving these kinds of problems the way you did on that day. And so I walked out of the class and people are cheering. Yay! And I kept, I'd like to think of my part in the bargain and the geezer was asked to leave at the end of the thing. And, but I think about the headmaster, inspired man who was trying to deal with people and complicated people and different religions, sex, oh, yeah. and he was in that space, that radical center that you are so interested in, Brene Brown, and why I'm here. I, I am so mm. interested in, and I'm obsessed with this school. I even Googled it and tried to figure uh, out, like, yeah, I, I, was, I was into it. Rock, rock, rock and roll high school. <laughs> <clears throat> okay, so you're at Larry's house and you're in his kitchen. Mm-hmm. And everyone's playing. He's, you said it was metallic chaos. The primal power of the tom-toms, the boot of the stomach and the kick drum, the snap and slap of the snare drum as it bounced off windows and walls. It was, again, a beautiful violence modulated by the shining gold and silver armor of the cymbals oddly filling out frequencies. The indoor, this indoor thunder, I thought, will bring the whole house down. Yeah, rock and roll, man. <clears throat> and, and it really gets rock and rolly, I'll tell you why. Because then you hear something that's not in the kitchen, and it's girls giggling and laughing and screaming in the backyard. Yeah. Yeah, Larry already had a fan club. <laughs> and he gave us a lesson in rock star mystique. <laughs> he, turned, he turned the garden hose on them. <laughs> I was like, wow. That's... Gosh, because I was like, there's girls, they're interested. <laughs> it's an approach. Okay. So now, I, this is, I, know. I don't know why. I laughed at this line in the book. <clears throat> this is the first time you see Allie. And you say, I know I fancy bookish girls. Girls who look as if they do their homework, who might develop a fine sheen of perspiration in the overheated library. Girls who look as if they might do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just had to ask you there. 
Oh yeah, she's been correcting my homework. Um, <laughs> I bet. For quite a while, when I, br- I had to bring the book to Ali, uh, of course, and ask, was she okay with it? Because, you know, we don't, we're very private about our relationship. Yeah. And, you know, whatever we've been through, it's not a soap opera outside of the songs. And they're real opera. So I brought him t- to her and she had one thing she wanted to take and out and the rest was spellings. <laughs> so Ali, that, Ali. You, <laughs> So you got her right there. Still, still correcting my copy. This, is, this was one of the most beautiful things I've ever heard someone say about another person. And this is you on Allie. Mm-hmm. And I found it in the very back. I think it's on page 565 in a footnote. Oh. Allie is inscrutable, but not unknowable. Allie will let her soul be searched only if you reciprocate and if she's ready for the long dive. That's the only way over that drawbridge. Yeah, uh, I mean, by the way, it's not just me that feels like that. Her children are the same. They're all trying to get to know her. And um, we all follow her around. It is a love story, uh, the book. I wrote it to try to explain myself to myself. But I also wanted to explain to my family what I'd been doing with their life. Because, Mm. Because they permissioned me to be away, they permissioned me to be not just an artist, but an activist. And I felt they should have a record of the failures and accomplishments and in detail, because when you come back, we're not sitting around the dinner table and I'm talking about being in, don't bring my work home with me that that way. There are moments when I'll sit, I used to sit and still do actually with our children, two boys and two girls and Ali, and ask their opinion on how I should behave in a certain situation or what would they think about their father taking this position or that position. But by and large, we don't, you know, we're having fun. So I thought the book was important. And, you know, one day they'll read it. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's been some sneaky looks into it from them already, but I'm, they don't have to read it now. I'm not demanding that. And it'll be very embarrassing for them, excruciating for them in some regards. Although I did admit that our youngest son, John, when I used to drop him to school, would ask that I dropped him around the corner. <laughs> and uh, so he wouldn't have to deal with any of that Bono shit. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I, I, I didn't, I mean, I, I know you're Bono, but I don't think I knew what that meant until I got here. And we came in the back door and there were just hundreds of people holding albums and... They, we were in a black, you know, suburban, and I think they thought that I was you. And so they were coming very close to the car. And I was like, oh, hell no. Like, this is, I don't do this. And then I rolled down the window and it's like, I said, it's not, it's just me. And, they, and 80% of them were like, oh, man. Well. Except, except for like five women in their 40s. <laughs> Come on, let's fucking go. They were well, like, we're here for you if too. If I could be the Brené Brown of Dublin, I'd be very happy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go to this on page 158. Do you want to read it? You remind me of it again? Well, I have it out right here. It's about you and Allie moving in together. And I can read it to you and you can comment or you can read it. Or whatever you like. <laughs> 
If you, let me tell you this. I have the book. I have the Kindle. And I have the Audible. Do not miss the Audible. Yeah. Yeah, we went, we, went, we went to a lot of trouble to try and create a more immersive experience than yes. just regular audiobooks. So I read it, but there's bits of songs in it and speeches. And for talking about Mandela, you hear him in the background. And it's quite a layered thing. A genius called Scott Sheritz did it over months and he just, he didn't sleep. He didn't, he just did it. And Fantastic. it's pretty, pretty great. Yeah. And having the book, I go back and forth because the drawings and the photos. So I will tell you, I do a full immersive thing here. Well, this will not be that. Okay. Um, but if you'd like, I, I will. I, I would love. Okay. Would y'all like to hear him read it? Yeah. Um, page 158. Uh, <laughs> No way. Uh, uh, okay. Ali and I were moving in together, and now we were beginning to move together. On paper, our marriage started that honeymoon week, but in truth, it didn't feel like that. We'd honored each other, made sacred vows, but the biggest moments in life may not be those we notice at the time. No fireworks, no explosions, no falling even more deeply in love now that we had time together. We were the playwrights and the play, the actors and the critics, excited and nervous to begin our adventure together. No idea where we'd be in 10 years, 20, 30. I raise you again, 40 years. We'll eventually figure out what was going on in that moment. Rather than falling in love, we were climbing up toward it. We still are. So, uh, Rather than falling in love, we were climbing up toward it. We still are. Man, there is... I hope the people in your life do get a chance to read this because it is a love letter to so many people. Mm. Um, it is... Yeah, I was going to call it a memoir instead of a memoir. <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't... You know how um... singers... You know, you, know, you know how singers, you know, tune up. <laughs> me, 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 you know... Um, so, anything, I mean, even I was, the author had gone off the subject of the book by the end, but I was reminded by the great editor, Sonny Mehta, who passed away, but is one of the reasons why I did the book with Knopf, one of the reasons why I did the book, and he said, you will not reveal yourself in your descriptions of what's going on in your life, in your mind, in your heart. He said, you most likely reveal yourself the most in your descriptions of other people. And I didn't know that. You know, and I have, these are extraordinary people that I'm in relationship with. And the ones you've just mentioned, I met the same week. But I went on to form another couple of bands as well. And so in, as an activist, you know, people like Bobby Shriver, who I've, we've co-founded Red and one with Jamie Drummond, Lucy Matthew, who, by the way, has played just the most incredible role in this book in making me do it. And she was so exacting. You know, she, we co-founded one together. So these are people that I love, actually. And mm. so, yeah, I didn't want to occupy myself with people I did, that I loathed. So I just left them out of the book. And, <laughs> and there's right another, on. There's a, yeah. yeah. There's another reason 
there wouldn't be a there wouldn't be a page to fill. I don't loathe anyone, and I really don't. I'm trying to think. There must be somebody I loathe. Um, I can't, as I'm sitting here. Oh yeah, I loathe Vladimir Putin. Mm. Yeah. And I'll tell you. Okay. Now I'm going. Let's and go. And I loathe that patriarchy in Iran right now. And I think about those women, those girls, and 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 they just give me such hope and belief in the indomitable human spirit that these teenage girls will take these old grey geezers down. I pray. I pray. We pray. Can we get an amen on that? Yeah. Amen. Amen. It's funny because Richard Rohr says, you know, in his Center for Action and Contemplation, he says the most important word is the and. Ah, right. Not the action or the contemplation, but the and. God, your activism. You've done things and created change with collaborators that I don't know that people thought was possible. And I wonder sometimes if it's because you don't allow yourself to loathe you find, you say in the book, I think I'm quoting you correctly, you find common ground by finding higher ground. Mm-hmm. That's right. And in the one campaign we say, you don't have to agree with so, you know, someone on everything if the one thing you agree on is important enough. And yeah, I'm not a natural for this line of work, just so you know. I am more naturally combative. So this, I learned this. I learned to put my hand in my mouth rather than my foot when representing these issues, which were much bigger than me or anyone. So I learned to be specific, to take on targets and go after them rather than just go after everything. But the act, you know, you think about activists, the action of that girl, I'm not sure I remember her name, Asra Bahami, she was 16 and they took her out of school and yeah. killed her, you know, and these actions, that's activism. And, but actions are important. And I learned something years and years ago, which is that just to observe a problem um, requires a response. So when you, if you believe that, I'm not sure I do, but if you believe it, mm-hmm. very careful what you call out, because now you're engaged. If you've got a problem, that you spot, do you, have you to respond to that, is the question. And I don't know the answer to it. Our manager, Paul McGuinness, used to say to me, Bono, the, the job of the artist is to describe the problem, not try and solve it. Can you get that into your head? And, um, and I would say, well, yeah, but no. <laughs> and I responded, against this word, maybe this is related to my father, I don't know, but I thought dream was not the word I wanted associated with my generation. I thought dream was the generation that came before us. Imagine John Lennon and he, you know, I'm wearing his glasses. Oh, he brought me here in so many regards, but I felt what I loved about his activism 
was that he just got he got involved. He went, you know, he did he made a fool of himself and his missus sitting there, you know, the two virgins and bed-ins for peace. But so somewhere in the in my head was there is hardwired action and contemplation. And uh, contemplation in this case and action. And I just felt if we know how to do if I felt I knew how to get the, this is a soccer analogy, and I'm Scheidt's soccer player, but if, you, if the ball lands at your foot and you think you've got a way around the defense and you know where the goalie is and he's standing and you know where you might be able to get the ball if, if you've got the right team of people behind right. you. You gotta go. How would you not go? You gotta go. And it was a really simple idea. It was. Sounds really crazy this week, but we said, oh gosh, you know, we're going to work with liberals and conservatives, with nuns and punk rockers and soccer moms and teachers and nurses. And it started at the end of the, just going into the zeros and on drop the debt, trying to cancel the unpayable, really, debts of the poorest countries in the world. To the richest. To the richest. And... It was a worthy cause, but it became a kind of a winnable battle because of the amount of unusual people, unusual bedfellows. Right. And I remember Bill Clinton going, you got a really big tent here. Wow, you got the, you got, you got the Pope, you got punk rockers, you got, you know, and, and, it, and it was, and I thought, um, I remember thinking, yeah, this is, wow, has nobody else done this? Because we're all very, I'm from the left, I'm right on, I'm from the Sunday school, I'm from the church, I'm from this. And it it was so great about Jubilee 2000, who enlisted me on the Drop the Debt campaign, was it was everybody was out on the streets. And I mean, you're gonna see this in America. You're gonna see a return to the radical center because the fringes are, are, it's okay. It's okay to have people push the elastic limit. We need that. But actually there's a W.B. Yeats poem, Second Coming, where it goes, things fall apart, the center cannot hold, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. We need the center and we need to find the center. We need to listen more. It's very hard for me because I have so much to say. Um, but we have to, we, deep listening is something that I feel Father Roar would be encouraging. And listening to people, not only that you don't agree with, people you don't like, people you don't want to be in the room with, maybe what radical Christianity is. And we've got to be very careful. I don't want to be, I write about this in the book, but I find myself helping God across the road like she's a little old lady. <laughs> and come on, God, I know exactly where you're going. We, we've got to be careful of this. But if you are, if you come from a position where if you find something in this child born in shit and straw, if you believe there's a force of love and logic behind the universe that would describe itself, perhaps, as a child born in shit and straw. The vulnerability of that. (laughs) And then we have to follow through on that. And that means 
I think, doing, I think it's called pick up your cross or whatever it is, pick up your cross and follow me. I think that means going to places that you would not normally go, sitting with people that you would not normally sit That's with. Right. And all of the faith traditions, Cross you, all you, of them. you find this. And in Islam, you have this incredible respect for community and congregation. So it's not unique just to the Judeo-Christian thing. But I'm leaning into religion at the moment. I will wake up and I'll change my mind back. But uh, <laughs> um, I'm, that's where I'm going at the moment. That's great, because this is my last page, okay. titled Faith. Okay, oh wow. I mean, it's like weird, y'all, really. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, your dad, at the very end of his life, mm-hmm. looked at you and said, he's fighting cancer, dying, mm-hmm. and says, I've lost my faith, mm-hmm. but don't lose yours. It's the most interesting thing about you. Yeah, yeah. I was on tour with the band. We were playing in the UK and Ireland. And so I could get home a lot. And my brother and I were looking after my father and we were fortunate enough to have, to be led into the room and to sleep beside him in these times. So my brother would be with him during the day and I'd come home and then uh, take over and sleep beside him, which was a great intimacy between myself and my father at the end. But I might have taken it too far occasionally. And I was drawing him. And it was beautiful because I could really study him. Mm. And so I was drawing, I I loved that. And then I thought he wanted me to read the Psalms to him. Um, Probably not. Or or maybe one would have been enough. Um, But I'm like, wow, check this one out. This is really good. This is when David's in real trouble himself. Now, did you know, Dad, that David was a musician? He played the harp. Did you know that? He was kind of like a rock star. Yeah. Have you ever seen the statue of David? Doesn't he look like Elvis? And my dad's like... 
Um, and you know he's not, they, they don't circumcise him in the statue of David. What's that about? Dad is looking at me, like, eyes rolling, <laughs> likely not to heaven. Um, and he's like, knock it off, will you? And it's very important for people of faith to realize we can be really insufferable. Oh, terrible, um, the worst. And, and, and the worst. so, but he did say to me, yeah, he said, it's the most interesting thing about you. I, I, you know, I'm, he lost his faith. I, I'm, I'm sad about that, actually. Although, as I do remind people, I love this thing, you know, we all sit around. Do you believe in God? Oh, I don't know. I'm working up to it. Uh, no, I don't. And we go, we ask the question. A much, surely, more um, interesting question is, does God believe in us? And that's the only question that matters. It's the big one. It's like, oh, you don't believe in God. That's fine then. That's sorted that one out. It is, is not the point. We have to accept, those of us who have faith, that it is preposterous mm -hmm. for people who don't have faith. And so go easy um, on the mayo. Because <laughs> 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 uh, I think what my dad was saying to me. <laughs> we talk about, you talk about your faith here. You say, <laughs> it's not just that some of the finest people I've known don't subscribe to any particular faith tradition. It's more that people who openly profess faith can be, how should I put this? Such a pain in the ass. Arse. Arse. You said arse, yes. Yeah. Um, spell check. Spell check, arse. <laughs> Thank you, Allie. <laughs> Caught that. Um, you want people to live their love, yeah. not profess it, really. Yeah. 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 All right, so I'm going to hit you with this last thing, then we're going to do very quick, rapid-fire questions. Are you ready? Okay. We're recording this for the Unlocking Us podcast, y'all. Um, okay, I'm getting ready to go Jesus, just because I'm getting ready to go Richard Rohr. Okay. Richard Rohr writes, All of creation has a cruciform pattern of loss and renewal, death and resurrection, letting go and becoming more. It is a coincidence of opposites, a collision of cross-purpose waiting for the resolution in us. We are all filled with contradictions needing to be reconciled. The price we pay for holding together these opposites is always some form of crucifixion. Jesus himself was crucified between a good thief and a bad thief, hanging between heaven and earth, holding on to his humanity and his divinity, a male body with a female soul, Yet he rejected neither side of these forces, but suffered them all and reconciled all things in himself. This it's, is the quick fire question. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is Richard, Richard. Richard Rohr doesn't quick fire. This is Richard Rohr. So here's my question but for you. But what was the question? Well, here's the question. Because that, based I, on I, the I, quote, I, I will spend the rest of my life on the exegesis of that passage. And Jesus but will not exit. What, here's my question. Is surrendering for you the title of the book about this reconciliation within yourself? Because when I think of surrender, I think of war. I think of the song from the war album. 
If I want to live, I got to die to myself someday. This is not a far leap from what Richard Rohr is talking about here. Yes. It's important, I think, to say that surrender does not always have to follow defeat. No, yeah. And for me, who was born with my fists up, metaphorically speaking, and sometimes actually, it's a word I don't fully grasp and haven't even fathom the depths of. Dream mm. for me does not come easy. I'm not a natural for this. To surrender to my maker, to surrender to my bandmates, uh, to surrender to my wife, my partner, is a daily challenge to me. It is not, I'm not that person. This book I've written for, as in that sense, it's a prayer for where I need to be. And I have to put down my fists and, uh, you know, stop fighting with my father, stop fighting with myself, stop fighting with imaginary foes. And it's a daily struggle for me because I'm, you know, I like a row. <laughs> I do. Is surrendering giving up or giving over to? Oh, much better. Giving over, giving over, the, yeah. It is, you've got to be careful about, you write well about guilt and shame, you write better than anyone about it. In Mount Temple Comprehensive, there was a very a hipster English teacher. His name was Jack Heaslip. And he was kind of 60s, liberal, cool guy. And, and he was the housemaster as well. And when, if you broke a glass or, you know, kicked a ball, through the, the window or whatever, you'd be brought in and he'd have to set the punishment. And he said what he would do is he would ask the kids what they, what, you know, what, how would they think they should be punished? Yeah. And he said 90% of the teenagers would choose way worse punishments than were on the books. And he said, this is the human condition. Mm -hmm. He said, it is kind of limitless guilt. And I've taken his advice on that one. And I think we have to be, we have to give up things. But I'm, yeah, I'm into people at Lent. Yeah. Take up something. Don't give up We something. take up stuff in our house. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> we take up something joyful. Yeah, yeah. All right, rapid fire. We only have time for a few. You ready? I'll try. Fill in the blank for me. Vulnerability is? An invitation to invincibility. You're called to be very brave, but your fear is real. You can taste it in the back of your throat. What is the very first thing you do? Smirk. <laughs> you watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. My ears are just about to go out. We're going live. And people are slapping me on the back, walking through the crowd. And I am terrified. And all you will see is a smirk. <laughs> yeah. Favorite movie of all time? Wings of Desire by Vim Vendors. Oh, God. Mm. A concert that you'll never forget. The Clash, 1977 in Dublin. <laughs> Changed my life. Favorite meal? Ooh. Efficient chips, as prepared by the Italian restaurant Macari in Dublin. 
Macari's fish and chips. Last thing, last TV show that you binged and loved. Bad Sisters. Oh, oh my God, so good. So good. So bad, yeah. but so good. Yes. What's one thing you're deeply grateful e- for right now? Eve Houston. Oh. Oh, ready? He gave us a mixtape. Five songs you can't live without. Are you ready? It was just today's. This, this is what you gave us today, or yesterday. I couldn't I'm gonna, live without I'm gonna, the, today. the first one's hard to pronounce, so you may have to help me. Miserare? Miserere. Miserere. Luciano, Luciano Pavarotti. Pavarotti. Uh, Zucchero and I wrote it, and it's a wild beast of a song. Andreas Bocelli also does a version of it. Miserere. Miserere. Yeah, and it introduced me to, to this great man, really. Most of the Time by Bob Dylan, When Doves Cry by Prince, Sa- Sounds of Silence by Simon Garfunkel, and People Have the Power by Patti Smith. Yes. All right. In one sentence, what does this playlist say about you, Bono? He's a nice bunch of guys. <laughs> Before we get out of here, and it's, we, I think I'm getting, I think that's what the signal is. Um, I want to thank everybody for being here. Yeah. Um, you guys are nuts. It sold out in three minutes with 4,000 people in queue. Um, I want to thank book people for supplying all these books. Support your local independent bookstore. Let's go, book people. I have a list. Um, Okay, to Austin City Limits Festival bonus track. I literally texted them and said, Bono's got this new book, it kicks ass. We couldn't do anything, could we? And the text came back in 30 seconds. It said, you're on, let's go. Um, And then Bono's team was like, you're on, let's go. Um, So. You have a lot of fans on our team. Um, Everyone knows. Martin Rowe, who oh. took up, uh, after Jack Heasley passed, he became our, our kind of pastor. And he is just Amazing. your, and he, he's so much in my head and in my heart with this book. So he, it's perfect that we would be with you. He, that's what he would want, so. Thank you for coming to Austin. Austin, Texas. Austin, Texas. Yes, yeah. ma'am. And I have to say, in closing, my big question when I was reading this book, 17-year-old Walkman, war tape. The war t-shirt. Oh, I have a war t-shirt on, wow. yes. Um, I was really into liberation theology at the time, and I couldn't figure out whether it was nature or nurture with you two. Was I attracted to the music and stuff because that was me, or did y'all shape me? And what I realized from all the UT concerts I've been to, and there have been a lot, how about y'all? Have y'all gone to UT concerts? Yeah. Um, I think we shaped each other. Oh. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you two is the band that doesn't just drop stuff on us. It grows with us and changes with us. So thank you for being here and thank you for giving us room in your music to figure out who we are. Thank you so yeah. much. All right, just... 
I hope y'all love this conversation like I love this conversation. If you are looking for links to the book, you can find them on BreneBrown.com where we keep all of the podcast notes. Just look under Unlocking Us. I really, really recommend the book. I mean, if you're a YouTube fan, you won't be able to put it down. But even if you're not, it's just, it's incredible. And the audio, I, I read the book and listened to the audio. Both are incredible. Stay awkward, brave, and kind. Rock on. Unlocking Us is produced by Brene Brown Education and Research Group. The music is by Carrie Rodriguez and Gina Chavez. Get new episodes as soon as they're published by following Unlocking Us on your favorite podcast app. We are part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Discover more award-winning shows at podcast.voxmedia.com.